Good morning. Glad to have you with us today and joining. Perhaps you'd like to start a watch party, invite others. We're always welcoming others to come and be part of our worship experience today. So please do that. We're delighted that you could make it and uh, share this time with us. Uh, so today, I would like for you to um, find your Bible, and we will open and look at our Bibles together. So if you need to pause, go get them real quickly, okay? Go get your Bibles, and we'll be ready to go. Meanwhile, I want to tell you a little bit about um, a friend of mine named Bruce Moyer. Now, Bruce Moyer teaches in the mission department at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary in Berrien Springs, Michigan, which is part of Andrews University. And I think he's retired now, but I still think he keeps his hand in it. And he was telling me one time when I was visiting with him there, sometimes I was teaching classes there or taking a class, uh, he was telling me one time about tent ministries, tent maker ministries. And I said, what in the world? He says, I'm in charge of tent maker ministries around the world. And I said, well, what is that? What part of that is that uh, tent maker ministries? He says, well, tent maker ministries is where we go into countries that we cannot send a pastor or someone from the church uh, who is paid by the church. So we send someone in who is going to do a second occupation, like a physician or a radiologist or uh, a carpenter or something like that. And while they are there, they have two basic, two basic uh, themes. They will not only be there to do their job, but they also will be there to spread the gospel. So they are tent maker. Well, where'd you get the idea of tent maker, the tent maker ministry? And he said, well, of course, from Acts 18, from Acts chapter 18. So would you turn with me there, look in your Bible, find Acts chapter 18, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the book of Acts we've been looking through there. So let's look and start with the story uh, found in Acts 18. Have you found it? It should be right there in your Bible. So we're going to begin right with the very first verse, although we're not going to go through all the details of chapter 18, but let's just start with the very first verse. And it said, and after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, if you recall last week, we talked about Athens as a city full of idols. And you're welcome to go back. You can find those uh, that presentation on YouTube or on a website. If you need to catch up, this talks about what happened in chapter 17. But in chapter 18, it said, all right, he left, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. And there, and there he met a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now, maybe you have been somewhat acquainted with the name Aquila and Priscilla, but they left because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So Paul went to see them, and because he was, Paul was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So he went. So now we see twin vocations here with Paul. Here with Paul, he's being a tent maker, earning money as a tent maker, and also being an evangelist. Well, so were they. They were tent makers, and Aquila and Priscilla were quite, quite the uh, tent makers and evangelists for Christ. Verse 4, well, every Sabbath, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, 
trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. He's following the words that Jesus told to his disciples. They were to go to the Jews first. Go to the Jews first. If they went to the Jews first, they were more conversed in the stories of the Old Testament, as we would look at it, and they would be able to see and respond, he felt, easier. So they were to go to the Jews first. Verse 5, And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, so he didn't do the tent-making while he was there. When they arrived, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed him, when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest. Can you see that? He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so he did. Well, I invite you to read the rest of that particular part of that story. And that follows from verse 7, reading on through verse 23. I'm not going to do that with you. You can read that. It's a fabulous story. You should take a look at that. Read while. But meanwhile, I want us to go back and look at our tent makers, Aquila and Priscilla. Because it is an important little part, and if you read across it too fast, you'll miss it. And so let's go back, and we're going to look and follow the story of Aquila and Priscilla. So if you would, if you would skip down in your Bible all the way to verse 24. That's where we're going to pick up, from verse 7 down to verse 24. Meanwhile, it says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. If we've been reading verse 7 through 23, you know Aquila and Priscilla moved, left Corinth and went to Ephesus. So they're both in Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla. And here comes Apollos. Now, he was a learned man, the Bible says, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed, look at that, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Would you please note that right there? Here's a hint. He knew only the baptism of John. Now keep reading. We're going to come back to that. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. More adequately, the Bible says. I would like for us to look at that a little more closely. Because evidently, as he was speaking, there was something that Aquila and Priscilla, as they were listening to him, as he was sharing the scriptures and talking about Jesus, that was missing. And so they invited him to the home, invited them to, and they wanted to talk to him and to explain the way of God more adequately. In the books of Acts of the Apostles, it said, while in Ephesus, Apollos began to speak, as he's quoting from the scripture, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Among his hearers were Aquila and Priscilla, who perceived the light, perceived that he had not received the full light of the gospel. The full light of the gospel. Now that's a hint. 
There was something about it as they were speaking. They invited him to the home, the Bible says, on his way so that he could explain the way God more adequately, adequately, excuse me. What did they see missing in Apollo's message? He was preaching and sharing the scriptures. He was talking about Jesus. He was moved by the story of Jesus. But what was it, what was it that was missing? What did they see? What did they not hear in Apollo's message that got them to invite him to come to their home where he could talk with them? He had been instructed, the Bible says, verse 25, back to verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. The baptism of John. He was talking about John the Baptist. That's what the references. He's talking about the John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was baptized, and if you remember the story, John the Baptist stood down by the river Jordan and cried for people to come and to confess their sins and to repent from their sins, and they were being baptized. They were being baptized from repentance, a baptism for repentance. There was a baptism for moral improvement, that you're going to come and say, I'm going to change my life. Life is going to be better for me. I recognize that this is not the way to go, and I'm going to put away sin. I'm going to do that. That was considered the baptism of John. But today, we don't baptize in the baptism of John. We say we are doing a Christian baptism. Now, don't run over this too fast because you may, you may miss this. The baptism of John was a baptism for repentance, a baptism for calling for moral change, to live a better life. But a Christian baptism has something else entirely different wrapped up in it. For it is really a baptism into Jesus. The baptism of Jesus, the baptism into Jesus is different Remember, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he said to Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He went on to say, you have to be baptized of the water and the spirit. He was telling Nicodemus, who lived an incredibly moral life. He was part of the Pharisees. He was living the good life. He'd come to Jesus and ask, well, what do I lack? And he said, you must be born again must be born again, of be baptized by the water and of the Spirit. What was Jesus referring to? And what was Jesus, how is this different than the baptism of John? Well, the baptism of Jesus, the baptism into Jesus, we would say, was baptized into his death, into his burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection. This is an important part. That's why you're lowered down into the water when you're baptized and you come up. You're being born again into newness of life. It has significance, the baptism of Jesus, over the baptism of John. It is what they lacked. It is what his preaching lacked. And there's an incredible difference here. 
being baptized into Jesus, being baptized into his death, his burial, and resurrection. Not what John was doing. John was baptizing for repentance. John was baptizing for moral improvement. Jesus' was, baptism was totally different. When, he, when we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's totally different. Not the same. Interpretist Bible says, it is dying to self. It is a recognition that of your own self, you can do nothing. And that you are willing to stand as a sinner in the presence of God, claiming nothing, only counting on his love and forgiveness. Look at that. It is dying to self. It is recognizing that you can bring nothing. You see, in John's baptism, well, I want to bring a better life about it. I want to be here in the baptism of Jesus and say, I can bring nothing. All I can do is claim that I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I can bring nothing. And now I'm counting completely, completely on his love and forgiveness to make me whole and to cleanse me. This is the most important part about God's amazing grace to us. God's amazing grace. It is such an easy part for us to miss. Even those who've been brought up into the church, including myself. I'll never forget when I was, had finished a sermon. I was just starting into the ministry and preaching. And after the sermon, a lady came out and she says, well, that was an excellent sermon, young man, pastor. And I said, well, thank you. And then she said, but I don't think you understand the gospel. I was angry. I said, well, well, who was she to tell me that? In actual fact, she was right. I didn't understand. I actually was living under the baptism of John. Oh, I was baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I had gone through that, but I was actually living under the concept of moral goodness, of the baptism of repentance, and not Truly, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, not really catching what it really meant. It is a difference. It is a difference between a man trying desperately to be good and a man who admits that he is a sinner and receives by faith Christ's goodness, his righteousness. He receives by faith by trusting in him. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, because you were forgiven. It's not that I'm trying to offer a great life to God, because I cannot. I am a sinner. I need to have the sins removed, and Jesus did that at the cross. I need to be cleansed. And therefore, his baptism, the baptism they were talking about, the grace that was offered through Christ, that was what was missing. Once, once that admission happens, once that admission happens and is made, then, then the individual, each of us, is raised into the new kind of a life in which he has the power over him that has never before seen. He has never experienced what it means to be saved by the grace of Christ to be forgiven and to be cleansed, to recognize that I need the goodness to become from the outside. 
I need to have it come from Christ. Apollos wasn't preaching that. Oh, we have the American way. We have our American way, you know. And we cheer on. Well, if you want to get ahead in this world, you have to work hard, apply yourself. And if you work hard and diligently and keep your nose to the grindstone, you will have success, we say. Now, I know circumstances come in this way, but that's the American thing. We kind of pick up ourselves from our own bootstraps. It's our American way. It's our, thing. it's our good tradition, our good, we say, Protestant tradition, that we work hard and we succeed. But in the spiritual world, doing that is really a hopeless struggle. It is a hopeless struggle because you can never pick yourself up enough. That's why I believe so many people get discouraged about trying the Christian life. I think that's why people have such a hard time. The grace of Christ, of coming in, being the substitute for you, his life being a substitute for yours. That when your life comes in judgment, they judge Jesus' life, not yours. And he lived the perfect life, and he's happy to give you his righteousness to wear, to clothe you with his righteousness. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. And therefore, we respond to Christ out of love. Make our way. This is what Apollos missed. This is how he missed. You see, Jesus invites us to come and see. Just come and see. Try it. Come and see for yourself. If you're in that spot where you think, I'm just so frustrated, I've struggled, I don't know, I'm ready to give up, then I doubt that you really have the grace of Christ. You probably are really trying to live under the life of the baptism of John. Oh, I'm, you know, I know, we don't want to push that too far, but the baptism, well, I've repented, I've tried to think, I've tried to say I'm sorry for my sins, but if you accepted the great grace of Christ that you can live as his child, as his, and accept eternal life. Well, back to Acts 18 with you for just a moment. Back to Acts 18. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and the sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there, the followers of Christ, wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was great help to those who by grace, you see, by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah from the very Bible. Now he had a different perspective. Now, he had, now instead of just arguing with them and about saying, have a good moral life, he was able to share with them what the great truth of Jesus as the Messiah was. And now he was able to share after this meeting with Aquila and Priscilla, the tent makers, <laughs> the tent makers, the laity, who understood the great truth and the grace of Christ. And they shared that with him, shared him an adequate knowledge, they said, an adequate way of knowing God. 
And because of that, Apollos went on to be a great evangelist and preacher for Christ, going to the Jews, showing them from the scriptures, and many, many believed when they heard about the gracious gift of Christ. It is the great gift of Christ, the gracious act of Christ, that changes lives. It is what brings freedom and joy to the believer. It is that joy that causes us to worship. Without understanding the grace of Christ, we come to worship hoping that God finds us good enough and that we're doing something to when you are in the grace of Christ, when you accept him as your savior and that he has covered you and covered your sins and forgiven you and made him his child and given you eternal life, when you understand the beauty of that, you worship before him out of gratitude and you are joyful and welcome to come and be with him. If that's not your experience, then please get in touch with us. I'd be happy to share with you the great joy or maybe you're a tent maker, and maybe you're someone who understands, please share this with others, the great grace of Christ. It will bring them joy. It will bring them happiness. And if you need to take that step, please do. It's an important step in your personal journey to know the Lord. Dear Lord, I thank you that we can call upon you as our Lord and Savior. And like Apollos, to learn from Apollos, who listened to the teaching of Aquila and Priscilla, lay people. They hadn't been disciples of Christ walking with him. They were not learned people. They were tent makers. And yet they shared the beauty of the grace that you have, of what you do for us in cleansing us and forgiving us and making us whole. We no longer have to live in fear God, but have a glorious and wonderful, righteous relationship with you. They may come and worship before you in glad hearts that we have come into the house of the Lord because we come to worship someone who we know loves us and welcomes us and accepts us as we are. It is the most beautiful picture of the gospel. I thank you that this happened to Apollos and that he went on to share the great faith. May we do the same for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God be with you.